Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be there in just a moment. 2 Corinthians 5. Easter is a day when the resurrection of our Lord is top of mind. We sing songs focused on the reality that Jesus Christ lives. We fix our eyes upon our victorious Lord. You see, just a couple days ago, on Friday, He was hanging on a cross, bearing the weight of our sins as He slowly died. He was rejected, beaten, marred, condemned, buried. But now on Sunday, He's no longer rejected. He is exalted. Now on Sunday, He is no longer beaten. He is now beheld. He is no longer marred. He is now unmistakable as our Messiah. He is no longer condemned. He is now celebrated as the resurrected King. He is no longer buried. He is now alive. When Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb, He was not simply winning victory over death, though He was. He was doing more than that. He was providing the means whereby we can be reconciled with God. This idea of reconciliation so saturates the pages of Scripture that it's a good thing it's not water or all our Bibles would be water damaged. There is reconciliation all throughout from Genesis to Revelation. You can see it all over the place. God has redeemed sinful man through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. But what do we mean when we say that he has reconciled us? What does it mean for us to be reconciled with God? Why does it matter? That's what we seek to answer this morning. In 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is a book written by Paul to, uh, as a follow-up of 1 Corinthians, right? Makes sense? 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church was just terrible. I mean, there was all kinds of problems throughout that church. It was, it, it, was, it was one of those kind of churches where you walk in and you're just like, what in the world is going on here? This definitely is not the way it's supposed to be. There were all sorts of different problems. Uh, from, from the first chapter, they're fighting over their evangelist power rankings. I like Paul better. No, I like Apollos better. Back and forth on who was the best. They were eating an excessive meal. Some of them at communion were stuffing themselves while others went hungry because they had no food to eat. There were people bragging about their spiritual gifts instead of using them to serve one another. In a word, the Corinthian church was worldly. And in this second letter, After dealing with a lot of the problems, he's still dealing with some issues, but he wants to focus their attention on living life the way they ought to live. The fact that God has reconciled us to himself ought to make a difference in how we live. And he focuses in on that that reconciliation in chapter 5. So stand with me. We'll read 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. This is the word of God. And if there's any word of God that can change your life, it's this one. 
For the love of Christ controls us. Boy, that's a sermon in and of itself, huh? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who is for who for their sake, excuse me, was died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Pray with me. Father, that, that's a lot. That's a lot to chew on. So Father, help us. Drive this word into our minds that we may know what you have said. Drive it deep into our hearts that we may love you. Drive it into our hands and our feet so that we may follow and serve you. Do your work in us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. In the passage, Paul is zeroing in on that word, reconciliation. He says it multiple times. Reconciliation isn't just that your sins are forgiven. It includes that, but it's a lot more than that. In fact, there's really two basic meanings to our word reconcile. First, Reconciliation refers to this idea of conforming to a standard. Every time, every month or so, you probably sit down with a checkbook or a bunch of receipts or whatever and the bank statement. Maybe you pull it online. I mean, I've got my records on the computer, so I pull up on one screen, it's, it's the software where I keep everything. On another screen, it's the website of the bank. And I reconcile my account. I make sure that what I have on record is what the bank has on record. Because sometimes I forget to put things down. And then other times, there's stuff that, that, that Carrie has done that I don't know about or that I, I forgot about. And I find it on the bank and it's like, oh yeah, that, that check is still there. Sometimes I have stuff that the bank doesn't know about yet. We've got one particular place uh, that we write a check to that sometimes is a couple of weeks, sometimes it's a month or so before they cash the check. And so I got to make sure I don't spend that money twice because it's real easy to do that. I reconcile the account. Y'all do that. You've, you should do that. If you don't do that, you should do that. Maybe you work at a place where you have to reconcile inventory. Every so often, you got to check through and make sure that what you have on stock in stock is what you're supposed to have. We do this every month at, at the restaurant where I'm at. And I say we. I really should say they because I don't do it. They do. Somebody else does it. 
but they walk through and they mark everything down that we have and take note of how many of each item that we have to make sure our counts are right, to make sure there's no theft or no waste. Well, not no waste. There's going to be waste. Make sure it's the proper amount of waste. You might reconcile your ideas. You know, sometimes you got great ideas and then reality hits and it's just not as good as you thought it was going to be. Anybody ever have that? Sometimes you expect it to be really bad and reality turns out to be a lot better than you expect. We've all had that too. Sometimes we have to adjust what we expect with the reality of the situation. We have to reconcile those things. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he is instituting his, mess, his method of conforming us to the standard. What standard is he conforming us to? Well, he's conforming us to his son. We see it at several points in the passage. Look in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. There's a conforming there. What he means when he says that one has died for all, therefore all have died, is that we are joining Christ in his death. He is conforming us to be part of Christ in his death. He's not just saying, Jesus died for you, but that doesn't really matter to you personally. No, he's saying, no, you need to follow in Christ's steps. And just as Christ died to your sins and my sins, we need to die also to our sins. We picture that in baptism. We talked about last week when we're buried with Christ as we go into the water. It's a symbol that recognizes that just as our standard died to sin, so we die to sin too. We're walking in his footsteps. We're being conformed to his image. But then look at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live, that's you and me, might no longer live for ourselves. You see, my problem is that I live for myself. Anybody else have that issue? Yeah. We live for ourselves. But that's not his image. He has to conform us. So he dies for all so that we will no longer live for ourselves but live for him. He's conforming our will through his death and through his resurrection to match up with his. He's conforming us to the standard. That's reconciliation. It's like we're a bank account and we're being reconciled to match up perfectly with the perfect standard, one that no bank statement could ever achieve. There's, there's another conforming, conforming in verse 17. Look at this. You probably heard this verse before. Before, In fact, I know you heard it because I just read it. But you're probably very familiar with it. You've probably heard it lots of times. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Y'all heard that verse before? We often talk about that in the context of evangelism. But what Paul is, is saying here isn't just, hey, you know, when you come to Christ, he's going to make you new. He's talking to a group of people who have been made new and said, hey, look, you ought to be different. You're a new creation. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. That word 
means passed away. That doesn't mean it's kind of gone to the back burner. It doesn't mean that it's kind of barely hanging on. It doesn't mean that it's somewhere off, but we don't really know where it went. It means it's extinct, like dodo birds. They ain't coming back. Neither is the old man. Now you say, wait a minute, I still struggle with sin. I still have all kinds of problems. Yeah, yeah, we all do, don't we? Because we're still in that ongoing work of sanctification, but God has made us new. The old is extinct. The new has come. Sometimes it takes a little longer than, some of us, it takes a little longer than others to figure out how to live in that new, don't we? doesn't it? By the way, doesn't that make you feel good to know that when you're sinning, you are still living out a dead person's actions? Like you're still acting like a dead guy? <laughs> boy, boy, that puts it in a different perspective, huh? That's exactly what he's saying. The new is taking its place. The new creation, born of the Spirit, washed in the blood, sanctified in the Word. We have been radically conformed to the standard. It's a good time to reflect, by the way. Have you been radically conformed to the standard? Are you a new creation? Or are you still the old guy? God's willing to reconcile you today. There's another conforming. Look in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Here it comes. Not counting their trespasses against them. Not only does God conform us, he also conforms our destiny. You see, we face judgment. So God not only has to shape us to be like him, he also has to reshape our future. Even sinful and wretched as we are, Paul goes through the anguish of dealing with this sinful nature in Romans 7. The good he wants to do, he can't manage to do, no matter how hard he tries. The evil that he's desperately trying to get away from, he ends up falling right back into it every single time. He ends up saying in verse 24, wretch man that I am. You think he's bothered by it? I think he's bothered by it. Who will deliver me from this body of death? But then just two verses later, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. How can we, how can we make sense of this? Two verses ago, you're saying you're wretched. Who's going to save you from this body of death? Now you're saying there's no condemnation. How do we reconcile those two statements? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it's God through His Son who's reconciling us to Himself. It's God who reconciles us from wretched man that I am to there is now therefore no condemnation. It's God who makes that difference. And He does it through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we don't bear the burden of the, of the sins that we commit, the, the consequences of those sins. But it does mean we don't bear the punishment because Christ has borne that on the cross for us. We do not face God's wrath. His wrath has already been poured out. And through faith in Him, God conforms our judgment our destiny, our future, just as he's conforming us. We no longer fear the long arm of the law because we know the lawgiver and he's the reconciler. Look in verse 21. For our sake, he became, he made him to be sin. Sorry, I get confused every time on this verse. 
I think I'm, I think I might have heard it in another version, like when I was young. And now it's like, it's like all the words are all mixed up. I can't get them right. He made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? In other words, the one who doesn't know sin, the one who doesn't commit sin, the one who is sinless and perfect is now sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. The first part is the how. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. But the second part is the why. So that we'll be righteous. Think about how much God has to do to make that true. We are vile sinners incapable of any good on our own. I know I look good dressed in a suit. But at the depths of my heart is evil. God has to take that and turn that into righteousness. You may as well take holy genes and make them complete again without patch. You may as well you may as well take old dingy clothes and make them brand new, bright white again. You may as well take a stained, beaten down, worn out piece of carpet and make it clean. Not to mention unstained and comfortable, just clean. Have you ever tried to clean carpet? That stuff holds dirt for, for decades. We pulled up carpet when we moved into our house and there was, I don't know, I don't know, there had to be like a pound of sand in the carpet. I mean, it was ridiculous. We cannot underestimate the grace that God uses to pull this off, to make us righteous because of how bad we are in the first place, how much God has to do in us, even on my best days and even on your best days. Our righteousness is dirty rags. It amounts to nothing. Even when we do pull off good stuff, it's bad motivations, half-hearted attitudes. We do it because we have to. We do it because we want to get recognized. We want people to applaud our efforts. We do it begrudgingly against the person who makes us do it. Only God can change that kind of sinful arrogance into genuine love for others that serves out of pleasure instead of in spite of pride that has true happiness rather than bitter complaining, deep compassion rather than burning hatred. It takes God reconciling us to make us righteous. And through Jesus Christ, that's exactly what he does. He conforms us to the standard. Have you been conformed to that kind of love? That kind of righteousness? Are you growing in the righteousness of God? Or are you still living in that self-righteous, hypocritical sort that we so often... Paul pray to God. God can reconcile you even today. So we have conforming us to the standard. That's one major aspect, but there's a second one. See, reconciliation isn't just a matching to the standard. That's cold. That's a, that's a, that, that's a vital work, but it's still, you can still be distant doing that. Reconciliation has in it this idea of relationship too. God is a God, not, not just a cold conforming, but of warm relationship. Various places in Scripture, God is talking through his prophets and he's promising to do work among his people. And then when he does that, he says, then I will be your God 
and you will be my people. That's the language of relationship. It's not just a cold transaction. It's a warmth that brings us a whole other kind of life. So not only does reconciliation conform us to the standard, it also restores us in relationship. That, that's common to us too. Maybe, maybe you've heard of enemies, long-time enemies, that through a long process of working out their differences are finally reconciled. A husband and wife on the brink of divorce and a counselor, maybe a pastor, maybe just someone who knows both of them well, is able to help them reconcile their differences. Sometimes it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. Oftentimes it does. Sometimes reconciliation is as easy as one kid going up to the other and saying, I'm sorry I hit you, that's okay. And then they go play together. But in all these cases, a broken relationship is restored. When God reconciles us to himself, he's not just conforming us to the standard. He is mending broken relationships. Our sin tears us away from God. We become his enemies. Not because he forsakes us, because we forsake him. We turn our back on him. We alienate him. We leave him. We break the relationship. Adam and Eve sin. God doesn't refuse to come down in the garden to walk with him that afternoon like he always does. They hide from God. Man breaks the relationship. But God takes the initiative to restore it. Jesus' death on the cross, perfect example. In fact, it's the ultimate example. Look, look in, in, first, in 2 Corinthians 5.15. We read this verse earlier, but look at it again. And he died for all. Not, not just some, not just the worthy, not just the good-looking, thank God, not just the good-looking, not the good-behaving, not the good-earning, not the good-whatevering. He died for all. And the relationship forever changes because he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake, catch it, who for their sake died and was raised. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, we weren't strong, we weren't capable, we were weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, even while we're still against God, even while we're still his enemies, he takes the initiative to die for us. He takes the initiative to restore broken relationship. That's reconciliation. Look again at verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He was reconciling the world to himself, not to a standard, not only to a standard, but to him. The purpose of reconciliation isn't so we'll look like a certain model. It's so that we will be like him. So we'll be with him. It's not reconciling us to a what, but to a whom. Verse 20. It's another familiar verse, especially to Mitchell. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. He not only brings us into right relationship, he brings us into his own work. He says, come join me in what I'm doing. That's not a coercive, demeaning form of slavery. That's, that's bring your son to work day. You want to come and work with me one day? <laughs> it's having a God-given purpose. One for which we were always built anyway. We're hammers looking for nails and God's got a massive building project and tons of boxes of them just waiting for us. Verse 21, for our sake. It's relational. He doesn't just do this because, well, you, you guys need some help. He does it because he loves us. Not just be, not just act like, not just act out, but so that we might become you cannot become apart from relationship. And God through Christ brings us into right relationship with himself, changing us forever, giving us the meaning and value we so desperately crave. But it's not just about restoring us to God either. You see, there's another, another level that reconciliation works. It's also restoring us in relationship with others. I've been hinting at it and I've been kind of skating around it a little bit, but you've probably already seen it in the verses we've been talking about. Reconciliation puts us in cooperation and in community with other people, especially believers. It bridges the gaps between us so that we can have genuine unity among each other. As God conforms us to the standard of Christ and develops us to commune with him, he changes the way we relate with other people. Look in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ... By the way, verse 17 was, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only does he reconcile us, he puts us in service to help bring others to reconciliation too. That word ministry, we have a word for that in English, deacon. It's a service. God has called us to the service of, of seeing other people be reconciled to him and being part of that reconciliation. He's called us into his army. And we are reconciliation officers recruiting new members. Verse 20 reiterates it. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us to whom? To you. We implore you on behalf of Christ. We beg you, we admonish you, be reconciled to God. Don't live your life as an old creation. Don't, don't live your life away from the relationship that you were made to have. Be reconciled to God. Our service to God as Christ's ambassadors includes us calling others to be reconciled to. We're not just beneficiaries with Christ's voice calling out to others to come benefit too. We extend an invitation like a kid having a birthday party. Come to my party. I want you to come to my party. Here, here's an invitation. Come to my party. Mom, can I invite 57 people to my party? I don't know that we can have 57 people over here. Oh, come on, Mom, why not? Kids don't know about space yet. They, they don't quite understand that. But they, they want everybody to be there. So should we. We love others because God has changed the way we see them. Look at verse 16. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. You see, we used to regard them according to the flesh. That's the old way of doing things, right? We used to regard them with our emotions and our desires and our prejudices and our grudges determining whether that person is valuable or not in our sight. But not anymore. God has given us a reconciliation that breaks down those fleshly opinions and establishes true, eternal gospel community. We used to regard them according to the flesh. Those who mistreat us, they get what's coming to them, right? We used to shun those who wronged us, vilify those who argued with us, demean those who were too demanding of us, but not anymore. Now, because of the gospel, we can be reconciled with one another regardless of our race, regardless of our upbringing, regardless of our social status, regardless of our political leanings, regardless of our culture, regardless of our generational differences, regardless of all the things that divide us and group us into small cliques and circles that exclude those who are not like us. The gospel of Jesus Christ brings reconciliation that allows any man, any woman, any boy, any girl to have genuine love and fellowship in a culture that screams out for reconciliation. The only means for it is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a great God we serve who would send His Son to deign to our level Translate God into human form. Demonstrate the holy standard by his life. Die a perfect death in our place. And rise again in glory and power. What a mighty God we serve. And what an amazing reconciliation we have through him. Have you been reconciled? Do you know this from experience? Or have you just heard the stories? can be. God's offering this morning. He's extending his hand and he's saying, come to me. Maybe you're weary and heavy laden. Give you rest. Come to me. Maybe you've been despising and rejecting him, but he's willing to receive you anyway. He's already taken the steps to make it right. All you have to do is come. Come to me. Father, you've called us to be reconciled. For those who may not be, I pray that this morning they will. For those who are, I pray that our lives would demonstrate it. Whether you're calling us to accept your Son as our Lord and Savior, or whether you're calling us to follow Him, to obey a specific command, or just to live life for you, to quit living for ourselves, whatever the case may be, we'll follow you. You do your will in us. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to be here at the front. God's leading you maybe to, maybe you have heard the gospel and you want that kind of reconciliation for yourself. You've never asked Jesus to be your Lord. If that's you this morning, I'll be here. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you have. Maybe you're already saved, but, you know, things don't always work out the way you want them to. And you've, You've, been, you've not been living the way you are. I'm going to be up here. I'd be, I'd, I'd be glad to talk with you and pray with you. You're welcome to pray up here by yourself. Whatever God's doing, you, you just follow him.